It's the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. Jackson Gatlin here, host of the Monday edition Locked On NBA podcast. Every Monday, I cover the three biggest stories in the NBA with the local experts from Locked On. It's an awesome recap of the weekend of the NBA and a look at what's ahead. Mark your calendars on Monday to join me for Locked On NBA podcast, available on YouTube and wherever you get your podcasts. Quickly to Wall. Wall measures. Deal. Gets open for three. Hey guys, welcome to the Locked On Wizards podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network. Uh, I'm your host, Troy Halliburton, and on the other line from uh, Brooklyn, New York, uh, my guy, Mr. Truth About It himself, Kyle Weedai. How are you doing today, Kyle? Troy, what's good, man? I'm doing well. How are you doing? I'm doing all right. I'm doing all right. Blessed and highly favored. Just uh, sitting here trying to trying to get ready to get this off-season uh, Wizards content popping off. And I had this idea about doing uh, not, not so much a player preview podcast, but just more so just kind of going over the whole landscape of the team. And I felt like one of the players who people haven't really been talking about as much is John Wall. And I felt like you were the perfect person to sit down and talk about Wall with since uh, you were there to cover him from the beginning of his career. So uh, yeah, I, I want to first start talking about uh, what, what, what did you initially think about uh, Wall uh, or the team getting the number one draft pick and picking Wall? What were your, what were your initial reactions? Um, I mean, it, it was one of those things where it was a really tough season. You had another year where, like, you know, the Gilbert Arena saga going on. And I remember where I was at draft lottery. I was, like, with, uh, you know, another another cohort uh, from the Wizards landscape, uh, Adam McGinnis. Like, I remember we were watching a draft lottery just on my couch. And we, you know, like usual Wizards fashion, we didn't think anything would come of it. But when they landed the first pick um, in that year – it was pretty much no doubt about it that it was going to be Wall. Like, you know, he was head, heads um, and shoulders above the rest of the, like, other guys in the class. I think there's some talk about maybe, like, Evan Turner could enter the debate as someone who was the, the first overall pick. But I think that was just kind of like throwing people off the scent. And it was Wall the whole time. And it, it was exciting because, you know, we just figured, like, the, the Wizards, they have their franchise point guard for uh, the next decade in and really, what's really wild is that was basically like more than nine years ago. So we're almost ten years out from when uh, Wall originally got drafted. Yeah, it, it's crazy to think about. And uh, I mean, I was just at uh, John Wall's uh, Backpack Foundation, his backpack giveaway, where he gave away about five hundred backpacks to uh, kids uh, in the D.C., Maryland, Virginia area. And one of the things that he talked about uh, at that event was the fact that there aren't really a lot of guys left from his draft class still in the league. So, you know, when, when you're talking about uh, Wall was drafted, you know, number one in the 2010 draft and that, you know, he was the franchise point guard uh, for the next decade, you know, he's kind of lived up to that, um, to that, to that kind of uh, prediction. Uh, I think that the, the biggest thing when we talk about Wall being drafted, um, I, I mean, I was never really big into the Evan Turner thing, uh, I, even though he had an amazing season. But, I mean, Wall was clearly, when he came out, I mean, this, this guy had one of the best uh, high school hoop mixtapes I think that, that anybody's ever seen. And so the buzz just kind of building around him that first year at Kentucky made it kind of a, a no-brainer decision for the, uh, for the Wizards to take Wall. Um, out of that 2010 draft class, do you think that uh, Wall has uh, wound up being one of the better players? And do you think that the Wizards uh, are happy with the decision having made that pick? 
Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, you know, going back and actually looking at the class on uh, basketball reference to try to remember who else is on it, I think stands out like, you know, Boogie Cousins, obviously a big name, and Paul George, although, you know, coming out of Fresno, um, you know, people didn't – they kind of knew of Paul George, but it wasn't kind of like that Kentucky John Calipari guy. Exactly. Um, it would have been impossible for Paul George to be the number one pick coming out of Fresno. Yeah, exactly. So, I, you know, I don't think the Wizards obviously have no regrets over this. Um you know, when you're talking about who Wall came up under, kind of from the Flip Saunders era through Randy Whitman, I thought he had some good um, coaches who had to have point guards before, like especially Flip and coaching other point guards like Chauncey Billups and and um, and Marbury in Minnesota. But you know, some of the people that they had on Wall's early team, you like, you, you know, the Andre Blatches, the JaVel McGee's, like the Nick Young you just kind of look back at the people they put around him his first like three or so years in the league. And you're just like, what was, what was this team doing? I mean, they really kind of set him back. I think his growth in surrounding him with some of the, the, basically the jokers or the clowns that just didn't really work out. Oh, trust me. We're we're, we're going to get into uh, some of those uh, jokish clownish uh, wizards teams. Uh, But first I want to, I want to, I want to get into uh, what do you remember from uh, John Wall's initial summer league uh, play and I do remember there would be an, a, a great showdown between John Wall and and pre Lynn Sanity Jeremy Lynn. Uh, what what are your uh, memories of that? Yeah, because so I went out and covered that summer league in Vegas and uh, you know it, it was a lot of fun because summer league has continued to grow and it was pretty big around then. Um, but yeah, I I know that there, he had that one duel with Jeremy Lynn that, that people talked about. I think people were even more like hyped up that summer about Wall and Eric Bledsoe because they were both kind of the backcourt from Kentucky. Um, and, of course, Wall and Evan Turner. I, I think really what stood out to me at summer that he he was really the real deal. Like, he he was aggressive on defense. He pushed the ball. He was like the – you know, he had the Jets that were unbelievable. Obviously, the turnovers and his jump shot is – you know, he came out at summer league thinking like, all right, he needs to work work on these two areas. But that was obvious coming in after spending one year at Kentucky – so really, I think the summer league was an affirmation that Wall was uh, worth the Wizards spending the number one pick on. Yeah, I mean that's 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 good to hear that you had an affirmation feeling after watching him play in summer league. Uh, but I would say that for as far as the national media is concerned, there were still a lot of doubts uh, surrounding Wall and his play, and I think that there were even more doubts surrounding things that had nothing to do with his play on the court. Um, I mean, we, we can get into the, the infamous Dougie incident. And, you know, before John Wall even had played a regular season game, you know, he, he had this, you know, he was dancing, he was doing the Dougie. That was a popular dance back then. And then I just remember, you know, people like Colin Cowherd, like just straight killing them for that. Uh, what Do you think that that was probably some unfair criticism of Wall at the time, just over a simple dance and, and you know, people talking about his leadership skills and on-the-court stuff based off of, I mean, just a, a guy, a 19-year-old kid literally having fun? Yeah, of course. That was completely ridiculous. And it, it was, it's kind of tough that Coward, Colin Coward was allowed to set so much of the narrative or, or the conversation. Let me just – I don't want to admit that he – set any sort of narrative because I think the general feeling was that, um, you know, people saw Wall for what he was. He kind of grew up in tough circumstances. And I remember Colin Coward even talked about like him not having a father, but that was something like, you know, John Wall could not control and his dad was around for a while. And I know it's like, it just seems weird that Coward made that such a, a, a deal that he had a thing for John Wall. And I don't know if what, what that, uh, how that originated, but I think ultimately that that was just a conversation that people had to have. But really, Wall came out um, showing how much he cared about the game and how much, I guess, he was a student of the game. And that's one thing I don't think people realized right away when he came into the league, how, how much he was into watching film and how much he wanted – he could have that conversation about basketball. Like those early days in interviewing John Wall was always funny because he would talk really fast and you're like, wait a minute, this guy also has the, the sort of North Carolina Southern draw, but he's a fast talker. But one yeah. thing that always stood out is like even speaking with reporters, he can kind of break down and remember plays. And so that sort of stood out to me from, from the early days more about what John Wall could do as a basketball player more than what anything like Colin Coward was 
was saying about him uh, in the media. Yeah, but let me ask you this: How much of a uh, impact do you think that uh, that Cal Cowherd making those comments, like kind of creating this narrative at a uh, at a very early stage of his career? Like, how much of an impact do you think that has uh, had as his career has you know uh, kind of as he's matriculated through the NBA? You know, do you think that that has kind of carried over and, and that maybe some of the stuff that uh, people talk about now has to do with, uh, you know, him coming in with this with this kind of false narrative from Cowherd? Uh, you know, I feel like, if anything, that motivated John Wall in his first several years in the league to kind of do what he needs to do to put a team on his shoulders, and he got to that point. Um, you know, he led the Wizards to to the playoffs, I think, in his fourth year. Um, and, and it looked like he was really on top of, you know, D.C., this franchise. People were talking about Wall and Beal as one of the best backcourts in the NBA at one point. And I think getting to that, that juncture with Wall and the Wizards and how promising they, they were at some point, I think that was maybe even motivation from Wall by, by things that people like Howard said. But I, you have to separate what we kind of know from Wall now um, from anything to do with those narratives because I think Wall has kind of changed a little bit as a player and how he wants to see himself. And then, of course, dealing with injuries and everything else, it's just hard to really think about the, the John Wall we knew with so much potential and, and without the context of, you know, now he's kind of an afterthought. He has a contract that, that people are trying to, uh, come to grips with and where, where will he fit in on this team? And so it's a really, it's a really different place to be with him. And I'm, I'm still personally trying to kind of reconcile, um, you know, wh- where the Wizards will go with him next. Yeah, no, I completely agree with you. And uh, Wall, Wall definitely has changed not only his playing style, but I mean, he's, he's, he's changed as a person off the court as well. You know, he, he's, he's grown and matured in some areas. And he's also uh, shown a, a, couple, a few chinks in the armor where he probably needs to show a little bit more growth and improvement, maybe as a leader. Um, but let, let, let's talk about those beginning years of Wall. And, you know, uh, I, you mentioned earlier that the, that the roster construction uh, around him for those early years was kind of, I don't know, all over the place. It really didn't make any sense. And I guess, I guess looking back on it, we could say, that they were kind of in the the asset collection business, and you know they 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 had the Javale McGee's, the Nick Youngs, the Andre Blotches. You know they were they were up in uh, in K Street Lounge every every weekend. I mean they were they were they were literally city famous for the partying that they used to do. But so that that really wasn't you know a very uh, conducive uh, environment for his personal growth. But, you know, still he was able to fight through some of those uh, early injuries in his career, uh, able to fight through the, uh, the the knucklehead cast around him, and he was able to show uh, a little bit of flashes of greatness. Uh, what, what, what do you kind of remember about those those early years from 2010 to 2014 before the Wizards made their first playoff run? Uh, one, you know, aside from all the, the so-called knuckleheads, they just did not surround him with enough shooters. And it always seemed odd to me. It wasn't until I feel like, you know, uh, basically Ernie Grunfeld signed Martel Webster randomly off the street uh, until they got a guy who can really knock down three point shots. Uh, But with Wall's game himself, I think Flip Saunders and, you know, later on Randy Whitman, who was an assistant under Flip did a good job of putting it, the ball in Wall's hands to, really work off the pick and roll. And, you know, it was just a repetition of over and over wall shooting those elbow jumpers. And he was so bad at them early on, but he got, he like, he could see his improvement in that area. And it really ultimately how it opened up the court in his game and how he was able to kind of learn, learn a little bit of pace. And that's something that's, that's got to be one of the hardest things for young point guards, especially someone like wall to learn, like, how do you, how do you get balanced that you're that you're faster than anyone else that you can beat anyone else up and down the court, but that's not always the right move. And so I think those are the things that are early on in his NBA career. You knew where he needed to improve, and I think um, you know he did a really good job of working on uh, the, working on his shot and, and working on how to finish at the basket. Because if you can recall, like he didn't he didn't always 
when he attacked the hoop, he didn't always fall right. It seemed like he was putting his body in a little bit of danger. And so that's another area where you saw his growth come on pretty early in those first couple of years. Yeah, I mean, I um, I can definitely remember uh, Wall being – the pace of play was a big thing for early John Wall. And I feel like him being able to uh, kind of slow the game down – was like was the probably the most key thing that allowed him to like kind of grow as a player and as 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 a as a true point guard as a floor general. So when 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 he was able to you know kind of get those pick and rolls like through that trial and error of you know um, as as you talked about um, working working with the players in the pick and roll. I mean Wall kind of really developed that that aspect of his game, and I think that uh, as you were talking about earlier too, the personnel kind of changed. So they were able to uh, trade out JaVale McGee, and they that was able to bring in uh, Nene with that trade. They yep. uh, they had uh, Mecca Okafor, uh, and they were able to. Oh no no they uh, they took they they what, what, no they took a Mecca Okafor contract and they sent him they sent that to New Orleans and they brought back Trevor Ariza. Ariza or, yeah yeah they got they, they got Ariza and Okafor. I think is part of getting rid of. Uh, Richard Lewis somehow. Ah, uh, yes, yes. So, yeah, they got Gilbert yeah. Gilbert to Orlando to get Rashad Lewis. Rashad Lewis to New Orleans to get Omega Okafor and Ariza. And then they traded Okafor in the first-round pick to Phoenix and got Gortat. So, them, yep. them getting them getting, uh, them getting getting JaVale McGee and turning that into Nene and then turning Rashad Lewis's contract into uh, Gortat and Ariza. I mean, now that – leads us to 2014 where the team actually where they actually had uh you know a team that made basketball sense surrounding wall so you had and then bill the bill was drafted so now you had the starting lineup you had wall you had bill you had trevor reza at the three and then you had nene and gortat in the front court and i feel like that was the, the the kind of perfect first uh playoff team mix for wall to have and Nene and Gortat, they were two players who were very dominant in the pick-and-roll action. And, you know, before uh, Gortat and Wall's relationship soured towards the end, I mean, that that uh, that Polish hammer pick-and-roll action, I mean, that, that was like a guaranteed layup or dunk every time. And so I felt like Wall, and leading into that first playoff run, I honestly feel like Wall was kind of like that floor general type of uh, player um, we, we, I got a chance to go over uh, a piece from uh, Connor Dirks. Uh, shout out Connor, uh, that was on the uh, right. True Hoop site, and and Connor basically talked about. Uh, he he wrote on the first playoff run. I guess it was Game One versus Indiana when Wall uh, ended up having a game, and it wasn't you know a sexy stat line. He ended up finishing with what was this thirteen points, nine assists, five rebounds, two blocks, and one steal. So it, it was like it was more of the you know, the kind of Chris Paul, you know, floor general, lead your team. You know, he's getting everybody else involved instead of looking for his own shot. And I feel like that that was probably, you know, that aspect, that, that version of John Wall was probably one of the best versions for the Wizards uh, as far as the team building and the winning aspect. How did you feel about uh, Wall and his development at that point and the Wizards' first playoff run? Yeah, I mean, you can even talk about, you know, go to the first series that year against the Bulls, and they, they won 4-1, to one, and it, you, it wasn't really Wall series. It felt like it was like Nene series, and you had um, a lot of uh, other stuff going on, but it was Wall that, that allowed, like, a lot of guys to um, to play their role, and so Beal came into his own that first playoff series. Ariza was getting a lot of buckets. And, and Wall was really kind of that floor general in that first series against the Bulls. And when you talk about, like, him getting help, it, it's funny. Like, the Wizards always um, surrounded him with a lot of kind of, you know, again, jokers as backup point guards. That was the year they had Eric Maynard and kind of slept on trade was when they basically gave up Jan Vesely, gave up Maynard, I think a, a, also a second-round pick to get Andre Miller. Yep. And – that was kind of a, a, a disappointing thing at the time because of one that Maynard was a complete bust, but obviously the bigger picture was like how much a bust Jan Vesley was. And so it was, it was kind of tough for the team to swallow having to get rid of a, a former uh, high draft pick, but Andre Miller helped 
sort of sort of shaped that team and what they could do in the playoffs. And I think we'll end up learning a lot from sort of Professor Miller and his ability to play in the post and do different things that would help the team win. Yeah, I mean, as far as uh, pace of play, he learned a lot because everybody knows Andre Miller plays at his own pace. So um, I think that when we're talking about Wall at this point in his career, I mean, you know, we're, we're talking about a guy who has literally done everything right. We're talking about a guy who has shown uh, flashes of greatness. We're talking, but it also uh, shown uh, the potential to keep growing. He uh, to this point, you know, he has been growing and getting better each season. And so that, that leads us into uh, talking about uh, his contract extension, which I think was he signed before that playoff run, but it didn't right. kick in until the next year. And so uh, it, it was very interesting. And this is very uh, uh, true on your part because you sent me a link of an article that you wrote about how uh, John Wall signing the $80 million max extension was uh, hashtag so wizard and uh, potentially could have been a bad thing. But looking back, it's easy. Hindsight is twenty twenty. And we can look back on it now and say that, you know, Wall fully lived up to that $80 million contract extension. Let, let, let's talk about uh, why you might have been a little bit apprehensive of, of the team giving him that max contract at the time. And uh, do you feel like ultimately that he did live up to that contract? Yeah, I think um, I think he did. But I was hesitant at the time because, look, he, he was three years in the league, and in his third year, he, he missed a lot of games. He ended up playing just 49 games that year. Um, and so he sort of seemed injury-prone. You talk about even his early days, like he came into the NBA with, like, knee tendonitis issues. So part of it was, you know, wanting, uh, you know, wanting to feel better about him going into the future and his health. But, you know, at that point, he's your number one overall draft pick. The Wizards didn't really have any other choice but to, like, try to throw a lot of money at him and to keep him happy. I think if you – and one thing when I went back and kind of looking at that article and, and kind of thinking about John Wall for this podcast, you know, you look at some of the other contracts that were signed that summer. I think even Steph Curry signed, like, some extension that was, that was four years and $48 million or something like that. And so when you're thinking, like, Wall at five years at $80 million and get, getting up into those numbers – it was kind of like, well, in comparison to some of these other contracts, I don't know if that's that's sort of what Wall's level is. But like I said, the Wizards didn't have that luxury. They're not like the type of franchise that has a luxury, and I don't know many out there that, that can really lowball or try to um, do different things with the first overall draft pick that they want to invest in. So it was a good investment. I don't think it was anything – you know, considering the Wizards didn't make the playoffs, you know, several, a couple of years in, um, after that, I don't think it's something they could look back on and regret at all. Yeah, I completely agree with that. And, and when you talk about players who also signed uh, contract extensions, I mean, John Wall even made a famous comment, you know, hold on, I'm getting paid the same thing as Reggie Jackson now, too. So, yeah. it's in a, I mean, I think that when we look back on that contract, I mean, that that he, I feel like he lived up to that contract. You know, he had four all-star bursts in that, in that time period of that contract. Um, he led the team to uh, – over the five years, he led them to four playoff runs over the course of that contract. You know, I, I mean, I think that when we look back on it, I think that we can – I can honestly say that I feel like he lived up to that, to that deal. Now, yeah. uh, well, let, let, let's, let's, let's go on to the, to the second playoff run because I wanted to talk about real quick about um, – the team, the team building aspect, and how uh, Ernie Grunfeld uh, did, chose not to sign, re-sign Trevor Ariza for, for I, think, I believe the deal he signed in for Houston was four years, thirty-two million dollars, so eight million dollars a year. So they chose to not give Trevor Ariza that deal, and some might say that they were trying to save up money because they were going to make a run at Durant. And I honestly believe if if that was the case, then Ernie Grunfeld should have been fired then. Because, I mean, the, the D.C. basketball rumor mill has been saying for years that Kevin Durant had no interest in coming to D.C. So if they're, if they're legitimately making moves uh, based off of that, then, I mean, that was a fireable offense. But let's just say he didn't he, – he, that wasn't the case and that he just didn't want to pay Ariza. How did you feel about Ariza going out and, and, and then ultimately Paul Pierce coming in? Yeah, I you know, honestly, I don't think the Wizards could have really done anything to keep Ariza. I, I honestly think he wanted to go um, – he wanted to go closer to the West. Uh, you know, he, Texas 
no state taxes. I think that was something he was looking for as well. Kind of like the the situation last year where Ariza comes back to the Wizards and they're thinking like, oh, yeah, well, we want to have this guy back. This, we traded Kelly Oubre so he can be a, a veteran around us. And then he, and he was on the first the thing. Kings, he right? was on the first thing smoking out of here. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So I, I thought it, uh, you know, they would have liked to keep him again because of what type of player Ariza uh, is, a defender and a three-point shooter. But it did open up the door to Paul Pierce. And I think that just getting Pierce and – and even though it hasn't, it didn't open the door to any other bigger names even wanting to be to come to the Wizards as free agents. It was a nice little kind of bonus for a, a struggling franchise to finally get this kind of uh, Hall of Fame veteran who could have been a mercenary and gone anywhere with a lot of teams, but um, you know maybe the Wizards had the best combination of, of money and potential. But it was really good to see Pierce come in because again, I think he. Um, he helped Beal and Wall learn a little bit more about um, just sort of the gamesmanship that Pierce had and really what he still displayed in, in the series at, um, against both at, at, uh, Toronto and Atlanta that year. Yeah, I'd say, uh, well, the Wizards, they got, they got a little lucky with Paul Pierce wanting to come to D.C. because his wife is from the D.C., uh, Maryland, Virginia area. And right. so that, that played a very big factor as to why he wanted to come here. So I mean they they were kind of lucky with that. So I, I don't I don't really know if uh if 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 he would have come here if if I bet was it was that all factor. Sam Cassell. Exactly, exa- and also Sam Cassell being here too. Exactly. So I think that they they had a couple of factors, a uh, couple of non on the court factors. But he also I feel like when he came here, he probably did see a lot of potential in Wall and Bill on the court. And you know I think that. That led to probably some of his frustrations uh, leading down the line as the season went on with Wall and Bill because he knew how good that they could potentially be. He knew that they weren't reaching that potential, and I think that was part of the thing that frustrated him. I think one of the uh, more poignant things that I remember from Paul Pierce's tenure here was the fact that, you know, he talked about, you know, coming into the locker room at halftime of games and guys were in there looking on Twitter and Instagram, you know, looking at what people were saying about them. And, you know, I think the way Pierce, you know, was talked about it, that, you know, he was he was kind of just dumbfounded at the, the fact that, you know, God, that, that the guys were so sensitive and, and really caring about that type of thing. And he felt like, the, you know, they weren't really focused on trying to win. And so, yeah. and, and Pierce was the type of guy where, you know, you know, he was he was already getting up there in age at that point. So he was able to, you know, pick and choose his spot. And he had the the mental aspect of the game kind of solidified. He had that on lock. And he was trying to I don't know, kinda I guess kinda trying to teach Wall and Bill. And I guess they I guess he guess he the, the message never really got through because, you know, he turned around after after the I call game shot and all of that, the playoff runs. And he 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 got he got out of town with the Christmas. He booked it to L.A. Yeah, he booked it to L.A. Always wondered. Yeah, I always wondered who Pierce was talking about. Like who was most on social media? I mean, I can certainly see it. Like to be honest with you, Gortat or Kevin Serafin doing social media halftime checks. Maybe Wall more than Beal. Um, but I, I I always wondered who exactly Pierce was talking about and who was like who was the most flagrant violators. Yeah, I I feel like. Uh, that that's something that we gotta get we gotta get Paul Pierce to talk about on 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 the jump when he starts uh, popping off about all his old stories and giving out all the tea. We we, we might right. need to ask him about that. But uh, I mean I think that 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 team that Wizards team was an exceptional Wizards team, and I'm not gonna lie, I'm still in the camp that if Wall had not broken his hand in Game One of the Conference Semifinals against the Hawks, I think that the Wizards would have been in the Conference Finals that year. Um, what, what what do you remember about that playoff series and that playoff run? Oh, man, and then even just the way he came back, and it was like, man, this guy like basically broke his hand, and he's come back to play for a team. This is kind of like he sees this as a chance. He's had such a good year. Yeah, that that was that was definitely a tough um, series. But you have to remember how good the Hawks also were that year. I mean, they were just like a well-rounded team um, in the NBA. So it it was. It was definitely a disappointing playoff run because you wanted to see, like, if the Wizards could get against LeBron and Cleveland because that's the one thing that they never really got a chance to do during the, the wall era is play LeBron in the playoffs. 
Um, it was always like only during the Gilbert Arenas era where all that stuff happened. Yeah, exactly. And then I think, well, they never really got a chance to play LeBron in the playoffs, but they definitely talked about it, though. They, you know, I yeah. think that – I think that that was one of the things that they picked up from Pierce that I don't know if Pierce might have even been happy about. You know, the gamesmanship, you know, they were kind of talking trash ahead of the curve, talking about, oh, you know, Cleveland ducked them in the playoffs and all this other stuff. And it's like I felt like maybe they they had they tasted a little bit of success early on, and that, um, that allowed us to think that they were uh, a little bit further along than what they really were. So, yeah. You know, they 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 started kind of talking a little bit, and I think that 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 kind of led into the next season, the uh, 2016 season, where the team actually missed out on the playoffs. And so the team misses out on the playoffs. Uh, Wall is still, you know, developing. He's still an all-star player. But I think that this is that that was the point where Wall began to change from a player where he was more of the floor general type of point guard. And he kind of where he where he wanted to be like that, you know, Kyrie Irving, Damian Lillard type of point guard coming out and taking twenty shots a game, and you know, fadeaways at the. I remember we used to have this running TAI joke about uh, Wall at the end of every quarter, how he likes to go to his move and take a fadeaway jumper, and it was <laughs> like not the best result from that. But it's like he, you could see that he was trying to play a certain type of way. Uh, what, what do you what do you feel about? Uh, Walls, the way Walls' game developed at that stage, and what did you think about uh, Randy Whitman and the things that uh, he was trying to instill in Wall, or maybe some of the bad habits that he allowed to go on during this time period? Yeah, I, I think that was obviously a year where you know Whitman had gotten to playoffs, and there's that whole thing, you know, playoff Randy Whitman, especially when they they swept the Raptors um, that one year, but like. It was it was clear that he kind of because of that playoff success, uh, you know, they had to stick with Randy Whitman a little longer than they should have. And by that year, like you know, he, the players are really tuning him out. And again, Ernie Grunfeld is doing like no one any favors with like just the kind of the 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 different actors who are <clears throat> who came through the Wizards from like you know obviously Marquise Morris to your Alan Anderson's to Dewan Blair's, like the the different cast of characters that I think Ernie was just, again, grasping for veteran straws and plugging in different people around Wall. And a lot of times it's these veterans who are at the end of contracts, and that just doesn't create a good environment where you feel like you can really build something. And so that one year, even though Wall was, you know, fairly healthy, uh, I think Beal missed a lot of games too. And so that even caused Wall to sort of, go a little bit more on his own. So he's kind of tuning out Randy Whitman. He's got a bunch of other veterans playing for themselves. And then Wall's kind of like, well, you know, I need, I need to do this myself. And it just did not work out well at all. And so that's where you see the Wizards definitely took a step back um, and then, you know, getting out of the Randy Whitman era. Yeah, I mean, I, I agree completely. Uh, I mean, Wall, he there, there, were, there were a lot of factors as to why uh, the team to why he took a step back and the team took a step back. But I think that you hit the nail on the head when we're talking about the roster construction. I mean, you know, there, there's another joke that you always run with the, the proven veteran. I believe that's still your, uh, your, your, your Twitter name on, on your bio, you know, Randy Whitman, you, you used to bring in these guys and, you know, he used to say, Oh, he's a proven veteran, you know, but AKA these, a lot of these guys were washed. And they're bringing them in, and Wall. I mean, he just couldn't carry them. I, the, like the, the 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 roster construction wasn't conducive enough for 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 the Wizards to be out there playing good team ball. So this allowed for Wall to kind of, you know, when he's looking around in the huddle, he's like, "Well, I'm not passing to this dude. I'm not passing to this dude. I might as well just go out here and try to score, you know, 25 points a game." And then he realized that, you know, if he plays a certain way, that he actually could come out there and score, you know, more than 20 points a game. So I think that, you know, it, it, in, in certain situations, that type of growth and development it was, would have been needed, but I would have liked to have seen it come and, you know, in a kind of winning atmosphere. But, you know, everything yeah. happens for a reason, though. So, but when we, when we have Randy Whitman coming out and then we have Scott Brooks coming in, um, that, that, that leads us into the, the death row D.C. Area, uh, era, uh, when we have uh, Marquise Morris came in and you had they drafted Kelly Oubre 
in the 2015 draft. And, you know, that, 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 that was a, a little bit of an infusion of, of kind of younger talent or at least players who were, you know, on timelines that are similar to Wall and Beals. So, you know, and I think that that brought us into uh, the Wizards' most successful season of the last 40 years which was the 2016-2017 season where they made it to, you know, the game seven of the conference semifinals where they were literally a quarter away from being in the conference finals and they won 49 games, so one game away from winning 50 games. What, what do you think, is it safe to say that that was the best Wizards season of the last 40 years? And uh, what, what did you, what are your fondest memories of the death row DC era? Um, well, it's, it's funny. Like they, they, made the playoffs that year despite, like, a, a disastrous summer that the team is still recovering from. So that was a summer that, you know, they couldn't even get a, a call or a meeting or a wink from Durant. So they turn around and sign uh, Jan Mahimi, Andrew Nicholson, and Jason Smith. Um, so it, it was just, like, amazing that they, that they sort of remained healthy for the most part throughout the season and then get, got to the playoffs. I think that's where you saw um, – I, I think that's where you saw Brooks come in and help right the ship. It was, it, it, you know, I'm still not a big fan of Scott Brooks, but he did get bring a little bit different offensive aspect to the Wizards that, you know, they obviously were not getting through Randy Whitman because um, Randy Whitman was more of a defensive coach, and until they, you know, the roster didn't allow for that. So I think that helped, especially in terms of the, the more forward-thinking NBA. Um, and it really was just it, – it helped to have a bunch of guys healthy that year because Wall, you know, Wall – Appeared in seven, more than 75 games. So did Bill. I think Otto Porter played 80 games. Gortat played all 82. Marcus Morris played all like 76 games. So, you know, that, that's a situation where most of your key guys are healthy. And when that happens, I think a lot of teams can show what they're made of. But when that doesn't happen, you know, that, that's, that's where things get separated. Yeah, I think one of the things that I want to hit on that you said that was very key it's, it's kind of a miracle that they had the season that they had considering the, the, the summer that they had beforehand. And so, you know, they, they, they pretty much, you know, they, I, one of the things that I remember, uh, you know, when, when going back in writing, and this is about the season that I kind of, you know, was getting into a groove with my writing. I think that w- when we looked at the data of the Wizards from the starting lineup from that year, and then you look at the bench players, I mean, it was like night and day. That Wizards starting five was – like almost like 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 a like a championship quality team. Like they were playing some really good basketball. But then it's like when you insert it, like just one player into that, you know, the the the, the uh, efficiency drops significantly. So yeah. I mean, I mean, this is this is one of the things that we're talking about with you know uh, part of the reason why Ernie Grunfeld is no longer uh, the team president. But I think that when we look at Wall and what he was able to do with not really a great cast uh, surrounding him, I mean, it, it, it was it was it was it was kind of an exciting time to be to be a, a Wizards fan. And but ultimately, though, you know, the goal is to was to make the conference finals. The goal was you know to kind of take that next step. And you know, despite whether that being Wall's fault or not, you know, the team was kind of unable to take that next step. So uh, what, what, let, let's talk about the, the kind of, with that being like the, 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 the climax or the peak of, you know, this John Wall Wizards era. And, you know, or let's, but first before we get into uh, the decline, let's talk about uh, the fact that Wall made all NBA that year. And that is what allowed him to uh, be eligible for the Supermax contract and him, and, and him signing that, that five-year, uh, two hundred plus million dollar contract. What, 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 what were your thoughts about him making All NBA that year? And uh, I guess we can just get right into it. Elephant in the room. Did you believe that he deserved that uh, super max contract at the time? Yeah, I mean, you know, he earned it. He earned the All NBA honors, and you know, oftentimes that comes with the super max. And if you're a player in his circumstance and that's written into the cba like if you get xyz you're eligible for you know whatever then you know you can't you can't really blame wall for going for that i think a lot of the assumption is that one um guys will stay healthy or the hope is guys will stay healthy and two maybe the salary cap will go up and so when you think about the first you know extension wall guy that we're talking about not too long ago still when that salary cap jumped 
jumped up a couple summers later, it actually doesn't look like such a bad contract. And I don't know if, the, if there's been as many increases um, recently. And so it just makes, you know, Wall's current extension hasn't even kicked in. And I, I think it was kind of hard to give it to him at that juncture because there, there just seemed like there was a lot of things off with the team that, you know, from that 2016-17 season, they just kind of, barely pivoted and tweaked into the next season and they start off so poorly. It just, it just didn't seem like uh, this team was built right. They had the right coach and they really doubled down on that two years in a row, um, you know, going into last season when they just sort of looked the same coming off, basically getting swept by Toronto in the playoffs. And, and it, it just something wasn't right with the franchise. And it was weird how it went from being so much promise from that, that, game seven with the Celtics to really just falling off the map. And it's hard to pinpoint, you know, what the, the biggest cause was. Yeah, I think, well, one of the, one of the causes was I feel like uh, the Wizards never really were able to get that third star uh, that they were uh, so desperately looking for. And, I mean, they thought that they were getting that player in Otto Porter, and they ended up giving him a max contract. But at the end of the day, like I don't, I never really felt like the Wizards, the, the the team, his teammates, the coaching staff, the Ernie Grunfeld. I never felt like anybody in the organization ever viewed Otto Porter as a third star, even though they gave, even though they paid him like one. And so I feel like, and I think that uh, when when you look at the tea leaves or the rumor mill, I mean, they tried to trade Otto Porter for you know to get that third star. They tried to trade him for Otto Porter. They tried to, I mean, for. Uh, Paul George, they tried to trade him for Jimmy Butler. They tried to trade him for Kawhi Leonard. And, you know, I think that the the, the rest of the NBA had, had a very similar opinion that maybe Otto Porter wasn't really a third star. So if we, if we look at how, um, you know, the team kind of uh, mismanaged, misappropriated their funds, and so when you look at them giving a, a max contract to a player who wasn't – who they never were going to treat as a max player – then, I mean, that not only did that not make sense, but I think that that was probably the, the, the catalyst of some of the locker room issues that uh, ended up happening over the last two seasons. So, you know, when you have, you know, Wall, every summer he would say, yeah, I would want to go out and get a Paul George, you know. And, I mean, as he should, he has the right to say that, and I'm sure that he's much closer with Paul George than he was with his teammate Otto Porter. But, I mean, it, it began to get a little bit weird, though, when you talk about, like, like last season when he talked about, you know, I remember one of the uh, comments that Wall said, you know, uh, this, this is going to be the last time y'all asked me about getting auto port threes, you know, and you could just tell that he was frustrated by, you know, the work that he respected Brad because Brad was able to get it on his own. And I felt like, you know, at a certain point, Wall kind of lost respect for the fact that, that he really was kind of spoon-feeding not only Gortat and Porter, you know, and, you know, he wasn't really necessary uh, 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 getting the uh, the praise for basically, you know, having those guys, uh, you know, be very competent NBA players. But when the team – but when stuff went bad, everybody was kind of blaming him. So uh, how did you feel about Wall's leadership skills developing and how he handled the, the Gortat and Otto Porter situation? Yeah, I mean, it's a lot of, like it's a lot to break down. I mean, with with Otto, he did become a little bit of a scapegoat and, you know, if you remember like the Brooklyn Nets actually offered him the contract and the Wizards decided to match. So the Wizards like paid him, I guess, the most another team could pay him. And again, you don't want to be in a position of losing a player. I I will say I I'll, I'll be interested to see what Otto does in Chicago next year. Obviously, a lot of other teams are sort of fans of him, but I don't know if that's more of like NBA Twitter analytics people who who got geeked out of Otto's like ability to cut and shoot three pointers and play defense. Um, but in terms of how Wall managed the situation, even with Cortada, you kind of hate to see it it sour like that. But I, I feel that um, while Gortat, you know, Otto obviously was not out- outspoken. I think the relationship with Wall and Gortat deteriorated because of how outspoken Gortat would be. And not to say that Gortat was always right, but he was not afraid to call out Wall. Um, and I think some of the, I think some of the players sort of started to feel the same way that Gortat did. 
And you can even see it in walls, like body language, the way he carried himself on the court, like not taking the right shots, not getting back on defense. And I know, you know, or, a lot of or, things, yeah, yeah a lot of things stick out about last year. And, and we can say that Wall was dealing with like the foot and the bone spurs and different things. But, you know, there's also a lot where you can see how he let his frustrations get out more than ever. And granted, the frustrations could have come from a lot of different reasons, but it just didn't seem like he was managing that situation as you would have hoped uh, uh, someone in his position would. Exactly. I think that he wasn't really managing the situation as a leader. And, I mean, it's hard, you know, being a leader and, you know, being uh, thrust into that position for the very first time. But like you said, I mean, I feel like Gortat, one of the things that probably frustrated uh, Wall was the fact that Gortat would call him out. And one of the things that I very much remember Gortat calling Wall out about on a regular basis was uh, not hit the revert the pick and roll coverage on defense, and and you know Wall he got to a point where you know in, in those first couple of years you know he was a, a menace on the defensive end, you know getting after guys, getting low, you know slapping the floor, doing all of that. But it's like towards the end. I mean, he was dying on literally every screen. He would never fight. Like, he would, he would, you know, get screened by the big man and just die on the screen. And just, you know, he wouldn't fight through. He wouldn't go over. He wouldn't go under. Or sometimes he would do the, the, the you know, the half-ass, I'm going around, trying to do the wraparound still, where uh, I think Zach Lowe said it works one, once every ten times that he tried to do that. So I think that – and I think that Wall – you know, he when we look at his uh, his game in totality, he was expending so much energy on the offensive end that you know he kind of you know. Now I'm not saying that he he wasn't playing defense or he gave up playing defense, but he was picking and choosing his spots playing on the defensive end, and I feel like that that was probably one of the things that kind of hurt his development or kind of hurt his uh, or or, or kind of maybe flatline his trajectory as a player. You know, because I, I, I remember uh, when Kobe Bryant was that two summer, three summers ago when when Kobe had his uh, player dec- uh, declarations as far as what he wanted right. to see from the league. And, you know, he said Giannis, MVP. You know, he asked, what do you want from John Wall, first team all defense? Well, you know, John, he actually went the complete opposite way of that. You know, where at this, when Kobe made that statement and when he said he wanted to see Wall make first team all defense, you know, Wall's probably actually been – you know, not one of the better point guard defenders in the NBA over the last couple of years. And, yeah. you know, some of that has to do with injuries. and But I think a lot of that has to do with him expending so much energy on the offensive end and not really have anything left in the tank on the defensive end. And, you know, that's not an excuse for him. I mean, that's just the reality of it. But that's, that, that's on him, though, for, you know, kind of shifting the way he plays and not really becoming that player. Yeah, I, I agree because in some sense, I bet Wall probably sees it as his own load management and he's like the star of the team and he does so much. And so, yeah, like one of his big moves was, you know, preemptively pointing out the switch before even a switch would even be necessary. And you're like, well, why why are you just sort of settling for a switch, dude? You're always sort of pointing for the for the guy behind you to switch. And so uh, I, I, th- I, I think you sort of hit it right there and – He's not exactly using his energy in the right ways and, and is sort of productively even on offense or when it comes to like how he just sort of attacks the basket still in an attempt just to get the call from the ref. And then he spends more energy dealing with the ref than he should, um, you know, dealing with the basketball game. So, uh, yeah, I, I think it's a tough situation and, and it's going to be interesting to see if he learns how to manage his frustration better when he finally does return to the court. Yeah, I, I think that you, you definitely – something that you said that stood out to me, uh, preemptive load management. And we have to talk about maybe some of that preemptive load management had to do with the fact that John Wall maybe wasn't coming into the training camps in the best possible shape uh, of when we're talking about these last two or three seasons. And – you know, I think that last year there was a lot made about, you know, that picture from uh, uh, USA Basketball where he showed up, his hair was looking crazy. He, he looked, I mean, he looked a little puffy in the face. But, I mean, Wall himself admitted this is multiple summers in a row. I think going back to the to a 16 summers and 17 summer where he said, oh, yeah, you know, I'm a girl workout. You know, I actually came in. This is, I come in the best shape of my life, you know. And, and I feel like that was kind of a narrative 
where it was like, you know, he's he's posting a lot of his workout videos over the summer. And he's talking about how he's coming into the best shape of his life. But at the same by the time he gets to training camp, he clearly can see that he's not in the best possible shape of his life. And so, you know, I, I think that he has to have some culpability for that, for him not being in the best possible shape for him. And, and, and you know, maybe I'm not saying that that has something to do with his injuries, but, I mean, we have to, we have to start with when, when you have a guy who, you know, maybe he, he got paid that big contract and, you know, he kind of lost a little bit of that, of that fire. And, he, I, I mean, I'm telling you, he was not coming in to camp in shape. So what, what did you right. think about Wall and, you know, his, 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 his I guess, off-season workout plan? And uh, how many of those years do you think he actually did come into training camp actually in shape and ready to play basketball? Yeah, I think there's certainly times he could have been better in shape. Um, and, and part of that is, like, you're sort of using training camp and preseason to get in shape. Um, and then, of course, Wall, he's a guy who likes to go out, you know, party a little bit. And, you know, there's nothing wrong with that. He admits it. Like, look, you, if you are um, part of that life, you're living the NBA lifestyle, you know, you're, you're going to go out and enjoy yourself, okay? So no one's knocking him for that. But I think what Wall does not realize is that, again, we talked earlier. He's he's been in the league for nine years. Uh, that that type of stuff is going to start to catch up with your body, at, especially after years five and six. So I think he, as an athlete who is um, as incredible as he is, and it's hard for any of us to imagine like doing the things that Wall can do on the court and being so confident in that. I think there's a sense that just like we've seen him struggling his offensive game and a little bit of overconfidence there and thinking he can be the score type of Kyrie Irving type, um, he has an overconfidence in his body and what not only what he can do to with it on the court and better protecting it, but also like, you know, how much you're living off the court. Um, you know, maybe you could get away with things when you're younger. Maybe you, you didn't take as long to recover, if at all, but now you're getting up there in age you're going to have to face reality a little bit more. And I think that's one thing that John Wall hasn't accounted for as well as he's gotten up in age and, and, and longer in the league. Yeah, and I think that this is a perfect segue into talking about how Wall will recover from this Achilles injury. I, I'm of the opinion that I think that this injury might be the reality check that kind of gets him back on track. Now, if his body – I feel like if his body doesn't deny him that – you know, if he if he's able to, you know, kind of get back to even like 85, 90% of the athleticism that he was before, I think that he kind of realizes that, you know, he almost had the game taken away from him and that he probably will take it a little bit more seriously now. And so, you know, where, whereas, you know, where, coming in the last couple of years where, where you know, maybe, maybe he was going out a little bit too much or, or whatever it is, I think a lot of that stuff has been overblown too because – you know, I mean, every player in the NBA goes out. Like, let's not kid ourselves here. Like, you know, it's like this, this, this it's not something that I don't feel like his going out uh, habits were so abnormal that it was detrimental to the team in any way, shape, or fashion. But, you know, I mean, I think that when we look at, you know, his – all of that stuff kind of adds up. And so when you look at – uh, him being able to be in tip-top physical condition or him or, or the lack thereof, you know, that, that I feel like his body kind of w- w- broke down. And so now I feel like after having that, you know, uh, almost career-ending injury scare, I feel like he's going to be able to come back a little bit more focused and, and be able to, you know, I don't know, kind of put his all into the game knowing that he almost had it taken away. What type of player do you see Wall being? Uh, when he comes back from this injury? I mean, I, I think things he would have had to make an adjustment anyway. And so, like you said, the, the injury actually can make him um, maybe start that thought process and, and get him back to where reality is and what he, he needs to be. Um, and he's still going to be a good athlete. I think it's not like, you know, when I remember Dominique Wilkins, you know, ruptured his Achilles like years ago and it's like you know he he was never the same player but I think modern medicine will allow Wall to come back and and still be at a pretty solid level now he he probably has to you know better learn how to use the pick and rolls and use his body and be more that Chris Paul type of point guard who can 
maybe put a defender on his back and use his body because while still, you know, we saw one of those photos from the summer and he's kind of the, the, the rope, uh, the rope uh, photo. He looks pretty buff in the upper body, uh, which it makes me wonder, like, if, if you're getting that strong and you're putting that much weight on, does that mean he really wants to change his game and kind of think a little bit differently? Because usually if, if you're, uh, if you're trying to recover, you're not putting too much weight on your legs and everything. So it, it, it'll be interesting to see um, what he becomes. I think he has the capacity to be a better point guard, but he's still got to get back to a, mid, a mid-range shot that will make defensive re- defenses respect him. And I'm not sure if, we, if we've seen enough of that in his career to date, even though he's improved a lot in that area. Yeah, I, I mean – I think that um, it, it will be good for him to kind of shift his game back to that floor general wall that we were talking about from 2014. You know, if he could get back to that point, he doesn't he he doesn't have to come in and and you know score 25 points a game. Like if he can come out there and be a floor general and kind of facilitate for Bradley Beal, you know, in a, in a way that you know, uh, Chris Paul and James Harden were able to do in their first season together, I think that there is a, a, a path to success uh, for the Wizards if, if Wall is able to come back. Now, the, the, another big question is, I mean, what, what are the Wizards going to be able to do about that contract? I mean, is Wall going to be a Wizard? You know, is, is, uh, are, are the Wizards going to try to trade that contract? Or are the Wizards going to, you know, I know some people are saying it's the worst contract and maybe they should – uh, uh, you know, stretch provision it, you know, even though that, that doesn't make little sense. Um, uh, ultimately, uh, how how if Wall just signed a four year extension, how many years do you think that he uh he, he plays with the Wizards out of that four years? And do you think that it is a priority for uh Tommy Shepard in this new front office to try to get off of that contract? Uh, I think it's a priority for them to keep their ears open, but you know, honestly, I don't think anyone's going to trade for that contract unless the Wizards are giving up draft picks, which, uh, you know, we hope that Tommy Shepard brings a completely different approach to his team. And, and the other kind of restructuring of the organization is that they're not in the business to, to sell draft picks for playoff rentals or just attach draft picks just to get rid of contracts. So ultimately, I think we will see Wall come back in with the Wizards. He'll have to show something on the court, something, you know, healthy to even consider – you know, what his trade value would be. Um, and, and, you know, the, again, we don't know what the NBA landscape looks like at that point. Um, there there could be a lot of teams in a lot of situations. Maybe there's there's a situation to trade contract for contract when you're getting toward the, the end of Wall's tenure or the extension, which, again, you, have, you said it hasn't kicked in yet. Um, so, so we'll see. I mean, one, there's a lot of contracts out there that were once untradeable from Gilbert Arenas to Richard Lewis, um, that was something that Ernie Grunfeld was particularly good about getting rid of contracts. So I, I don't think you've seen Wall's last days with the Wizards. I think, unfortunately, it's, it seems basically going to punt this next season, though, and try to almost be like, you know, get younger, uh, get a little bit more experience for the, your draft picks. But it'll be interesting to see if that keeps Beal patient and what they do with Beal. Um, even more so because they're they're kind of stuck with Wall for for the foreseeable future. Yeah, I I, I think that they are stuck with Wall for the foreseeable future, and I don't want to frame it as being stuck with him because uh, I mean I I do believe that he earned the contract that he has, and you know I think Wall Wall is very adamant on you know getting back to the player that he once was, and you know one of the comments that stuck out to me from this weekend at his uh, at his uh, John Wall Foundation backpack drive. Uh, you know, he he told people, you know, keep that same energy. So you know, he he John, I feel like is one of those players who he he keeps his ear to the streets, and he's very well he's very well aware of the things that are being said about him, uh, both nationally and locally. Um, so I think that you know he 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 understands this, and I think that he's using it as as motivation. But, like, as you said, there are a lot of things that are probably out of his control. I mean, the team could be bad enough this year that, you know, Bradley Bill, he, he might he might could love John Wall as much as possible, you know. Yeah. But he might go to the team next year and be like, yo, get me out of here. And it might not have anything to do with John Wall at all. 
So, and, you know, whether Bradley Bill is there or not definitely has an effect on how uh, effective Wall can be as a player once he does return. So I, I do believe that there, you know, the, the, the thing is with, about the Wizards uh, situation, um, one of the, I've come to realize when they evaluate it or trying to project what they're going to be, it's really tough because, I mean, there's so many moving parts going on with this franchise right now where, I mean, you know, as far as, you know, a fork in the road moment, I'd say we're, we're at a, a road where there are, you know, four different forks here. Right? And there are so many different ways that this thing could play out. And we really don't really know until the dominoes start to fall. So, right. you know, I'm, I'm excited to kind of see how this will all play out. Um, I, know that, I know that Wall is going to try his best to rehab. I know that he has that fire still within him. And he wants to prove if if for nobody if for nothing else just to prove everybody wrong. Like I, I, I honestly believe that he has the fire for that. But I mean, there there's so many factors, there's so many ways that this could play out. So I mean, it, it's just going to be an interesting year. And as you said, the team is probably punting on the season. So I mean, wh- how are you feeling about the team going into next season? Um, you know, with Wall also like just remember he, he'll be 29 in September and you know, talk about maybe stretching his contract. That That's just silly because, you, you know, you're just paying him not to play when he could come back and be decent. So, like I said, they, they have to, you know, being stuck with him is going to be a good thing and a bad thing. Uh, with respect to the season, you know, I I want to get back. I mean, last season was just such a bummer. So many reasons, a lot of other stuff going on in life and haven't um, been able to keep up as much with the Wizards and write about them. But I'm hoping that they will have a, a little bit more energy to them, um, especially just under a new regime and out from under Ernie Grunfeld, and you have a lot of young guys who you assume will get more time. Um, so, so with this season, I'm hoping a couple things. One, uh, I, I don't know what's going to go on with Scott Brooks. I'm still not a big believer in him. I think the Wizards are basically stuck with him too, in essence, because he's still got you know a couple more years on his contract. But I think he will play younger guys. He won't be under pressure to play these veterans. So I'm looking forward to get, you know, the guys like Troy Brown, um, so a little bit more burn. Um, and then ultimately I'll be – I know they're kind of planning not to have Wall back at all this season, and, and that's kind of how they should look at it, just not expect them to come back, you know, do your thing as a team. But I would be really surprised if he didn't make some sort of appearance late in the year. Because it's, it's, you know, I think he injured his – Achilles tendon what, in February. February. So yep. you're still like, I know he had some other injuries that he's recovering from, but you know, you still think that you don't want to take almost a year and a half, 18 months, 19 months completely away from the game. So I, I would really interested to see if it comes February, comes in March, depending on what the team is doing, you know, if, if they see about getting wall in the court, because again, you want to see, I'm sure he wants to see what type of player you're dealing with and what you can prepare for going into next season. So uh, I'll be curious about that, um, you know, coming up this year. Yeah, well, I, I will say this. I will guarantee, I will bet my life on this, that whatever the threshold of games that he has to miss for Teleosis to get the insurance check, he will miss <laughs> that amount of games. I'll, right. I'll bet my life on that. But – uh, you know, like, like you said, I wouldn't mind seeing if you know if the team if they're going to come out here and win thirty games next year. You know, those those uh those games at the end of March and April. You know, I wouldn't mind you know throwing Wall out there and let's let, let's just see what he's got. You know, against against some uh, real competition. And you know, if he comes out there and he and he kind of looks like uh you know the player that we've kind of grown to know and love. I mean, that could be a real momentum builder heading into. Uh, heading into the uh, 2020 season, so right. you know it, it, it's it's something. It's like I said, it, it's a it's, it's there's so many moving parts. So we'll see how this all plays out. Um, I'm excited to uh, hopefully get 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 you guys back out there uh, and writing. Uh, I know I know I know that you have some things brewing uh, with with trying to as, as regards to the website uh, over at Truth About It, and so uh, and I also I want I want to get uh, a lot of the guys uh, on the podcast recording. You know, if you if you ever feel like taking over and hosting a podcast, you know, doing 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 your own thing, man. This is, you're, the door is always welcome, man. You, no I've doubt, learned, man. I've, I've learned so much from uh, the first generation basketball basket bloggers, uh, such as yourself. So. <laughs> yeah, no doubt, man. I, and I really want to uh, thanks a lot for having me on because I really want 
get it back to doing this some more and, and hopefully just have a fun team to watch. And I know it's going to be a struggle next year with the Wizards, but, you know, it's been just so disappointing and how they, they've fallen way below expectations. But I think now, you know, it's not the completely new franchise that fans may have hoped for. Um, I know that, that the sort of decision to – uh, to bring on Tommy Shepard, who was Grunfeld's number two for so many years, is a is sort of a polarizing one for Wizards fans. But you know, I do think that they have uh, just a, the opportunity to have a fresh look and, and really just you know hopefully get back to being a more fun team for their their fans to watch because that's you know, that's what it's all about. Yeah, I mean that's really what it's all about. So if we if we can just have some fun. We can get people to start talking to each other nice on the internet. You know, maybe maybe we can. Uh, <laughs> Get this, get this DC family thing turned around, man. So, Kyle, I want to, I want to thank you for, uh, for coming on, man. I want to give you an opportunity now to kind of uh, uh, plug your social media stuff, let the people know where they can find you and, uh, and check out some of your work. Yeah, man. I mean, obviously, uh, truthaboutit.net is uh, the website, and um, my Twitter handle is truth underscore about underscore it, uh, and we have a whole crew of, of the usual characters from Rashad to Brian. And uh, hopefully we can get um, get back on it, sort of reinvigorate the site because yeah, it's, it's the whole thing that that gosh, it started more than tw- more than uh, more than ten years ago. So the site started back in 2007. Um, I'm not, uh, and so we we've sort of been a long way, and uh, and we're still with the Wizards, and just kind of need to hit the reset button ourselves. And so looking forward to uh, looking forward to things to come. Hey, call it call it a retooling, not a rebuild, man. <laughs> exactly. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to this Locked On podcast ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today.